So how can we know that the New Testament is a reliable source of truth? How can we know that the New Testament is a reliable source of truth? Many people think that the New Testament documents were transmitted and copied in a way that sort of parallels that old telephone game um, that many of us probably played in youth group. Um, It's called Chinese Whispers. Some people know it by that. Um, We just called it the telephone game. It's that game where... The first person starts by whispering some sort of verbal message to the second person who tells the third, who tells the fourth, and so on, all the way around the circle until you get to the last person and they proclaim something that inevitably sounds very different than the original message. Fortunately, the process of copying the New Testament documents bears very little resemblance to the telephone game. Instead, it would be something that accounts for a scribal tradition that developed around the transmission of the documents. So it would be like the telephone game, but instead of a verbal transmission, each person would be, write, be, would be asked to write down exactly what the previous person wrote while looking at what the previous person wrote and doing so in exactly the same script with exactly the same number of letters per line, adding up the number of letters per page so that the number of letters per document matched the person in front of them. Uh, and, and if anyone uh, was ever wrong, the entire thing would be thrown out. And not only would it be one game, it would be way more complex than that. It would be many thousands of telephone games where the goal of every single game is to transmit in writing exactly the same message as every one of the other many thousand telephone games going on. And when any one of those telephone games transmitted a different message than the other many thousands, you could check it with the other many thousands to make sure that the original message was preserved exactly correctly. So because of an accurate transmission process that is much more like what I just described than the traditional game of telephone, that's popular sort of uh, thought about how this works. What we have today is a Bible that is incredibly accurate, and it's a reliable construction of the original documents themselves. So um, there's your answer. Let's pray and go home. There's a ton more to say, (laughs) much, much more to say about this. And we're going to answer our main question about the reliability of the New Testament with two related questions. The first is, do we have an accurate copy of the original New Testament documents? And the second is, are those documents reliable sources of truth? Do we have an accurate copy of the original? And are those copies reliable sources of truth? Prepare to drink from a fire hose. Let's jump in with question one. Do we have an accurate copy of the original New Testament documents? Super important question. Here's the problem. We do not have the originals themselves. In fact, we don't have the originals for any ancient documents written on parchment. (laughs) We only have what are handwritten copies called manuscripts. So the question actually becomes this. Does only having copies of the originals, does having the copies prevent us from having an accurate and reliable record of the original? That's the real question at hand. And and fortunately, the answer is no. (laughs) 
Only having copies doesn't prevent us from having an accurate and reliable copy of the original. In fact, all literature from the ancient world has to be reconstructed into its original form by comparing all of the many manuscripts that survive. In other words, to reconstruct the original, it helps to have a large number of manuscripts that are copied soon after the original and that are abundantly supported and quoted uh, by, uh, by other manuscripts or writings or histories or people outside of those documents. So the more you have, the earlier they are copied, and the more they're supported by outside sources, the more trustworthy and accurate is the reconstruction we can make of the original. Hope that makes sense. So, how do the New Testament documents fare in this regard? What we find is that no other document from the ancient world comes anywhere remotely close to the kind of reliability that we have with the New Testament documents. In fact, the New Testament documents have way more manuscripts, way earlier manuscripts, and way more abundantly supported manuscripts than any other document from the ancient world easily combined the, the top ten pieces of classical literature. And that's being very conservative. So here's what we mean. The New Testament, number one, has way more manuscripts. The manuscripts are the copies of the original. According to the most recent counts for just the New Testament, which was written entirely in Greek, there are almost 6,000, there are 5,900 manuscripts. In addition to those 5,900 manuscripts, there are between 15 to 20,000 manuscripts of the Bible written in other languages like Syriac, Coptic, Latin, Arabic, those kinds of things. Which means, all told, total, there are 21 to 26 thousand New Testament manuscripts that we have discovered so far. Some of these are complete Bibles, others are books or pages, uh, a few are just little fragments of a piece of a passage of scripture. The average size of these manuscripts that we have is about 400 pages long, which means, think about this, we have 2.4 million pages of the New Testament documents in the original Greek and eight to ten and a half million pages of the New Testament in all the languages, which means we have lots and lots and lots of data with which to reconstruct the original. Now, we'll show you more about that in just a minute. Not only does the New Testament have way more manuscripts, as we just said, but it has way earlier manuscripts, meaning they were written down and copied real soon after the original especially when, care, when compared to other ancient writings. For just the New Testament documents, the time gap between the original and the first surviving copies is significantly shorter than all other ancient writings, meaning, this is the key part, meaning the strength of our reconstruction of the original is significantly better with the New Testament than all of the other ancient writings that historians have assumed are reliable this whole time. Just look at this graph. We'll show you so this makes a little more sense for you. Look at the left half of this graph here to see what we mean. These bars on the left here show the time gap between the original and the first surviving copies. For that graph, shorter is better, <laughs> if you're visual. Uh, shorter is better. And in case you can't see there, toward the top of the graph, 
scholars generally believe that nowadays there were somewhere between 25 to 50 years between the original writings and the first surviving copies of the New Testament. So 25 to 50 years in between the original and the first copies in the New Testament, whereas coming in second, Homer's Iliad has 500 years between the original and the first surviving copies. Most ancient documents average conservatively 750 to 1,000 years between the original and the first surviving copy. In summary, the New Testament has way less time between the original and the first surviving copies than the average ancient writing. Exponentially way less time. Now the other graph on the right there, which takes us back to the first question of the number of manuscripts, this graph shows the number of manuscript copies, and on this graph, the bigger the bar, the better. So what we see there at the top is that the New Testament, and actually, um, if it were to scale, it'd be off the page. The New Testament comes in at around 5,900 in the original languages. Um, so this graphic is a little behind, as you can see. Uh, it's actually about 5,900 that we have. And Homer, which is second place, uh, is the second most attested and considered reliable ancient document. And it comes in with only 643 manuscripts. Third place is a guy named Demosthenes. Uh, and then it just goes way down, way down from there. Now, bottom line. Taking what we've said so far about the number of manuscript copies we have and the dating of those manuscripts, think about this. One of the foremost scholars in the field, his name's Daniel Wallace, he says the average literary work from this time only has 15 manuscripts in existence, and those 15 manuscripts were written on average conservatively 750 years or so after the original. That's being kind. In contrast... In contrast, confining it to just the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, that 5,900 number, we have 6,000 of those in existence, and they average around 200 years after the original, which means that the New Testament, conservatively, using only the 6,000 number, has over nine times more manuscripts that are on average 550 years earlier than works of that time that, for the record, historians consider reliable. <laughs> that doesn't even include 15 to 20,000 more non-Greek manuscripts. So what that means is we can confidently say that no document from the ancient world comes anywhere close, anywhere remotely close to the New Testament documents in terms of support and reliability and what they call textual attestation. Now, here's where it begins to get a little bit crazy. It, it makes you think that maybe uh, someone somewhere, capital S, uh, knew what someone was doing. If these many manuscripts that we have found, if they were all that scholars had, they could reconstruct the entire original New Testament with great accuracy. We'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute here. But they also have abundant supporting evidence outside of the Bible, outside of those manuscripts, 
which practically makes reconstruction of the New Testament itself certain. And this is the third thing about the manuscripts we're going to talk about today. The New Testament has way more abundantly supported manuscripts than every other ancient document in comparison. That means, long story short, that the New Testament was quoted by outside sources so many times in antiquity that if every single New Testament manuscript that we have, that uh, 6,000 number or that 26,000 number, if all of those went away instantly today, we could reconstruct the entire text of the New Testament many times over just from the quotations of what we call the early church fathers, the early leaders of the church. The early church fathers, uh, coupled with some of the the middle church fathers, we call them the the early leaders of the church, they quoted the New Testament well over one million times in their own writings, which means just from their writings, we could reconstruct the New Testament from their quotations many times over, even if we didn't have any of those original documents. So, because we have many manuscripts... They're early manuscripts, and they are absurdly well attested, and they are supported from outside sources. It makes reconstruction of the original New Testament documents almost certain, especially when compared to every other single piece of ancient literature, which, by the way, historians have no problem asserting as reliable. So, how do they reconstruct the original? And how accurate is our copy. How does actual reconstruction of the original work from those manuscripts? Suppose that we have four different manuscripts with four different variants in the same verse. People sometimes call those errors. They're actually variants. Um, And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a second. Look at Philippians 4.13 here on screen. We'll put this up for you. And there are four different versions of this, four, four variants. Look at those real quick. This is hypothetical. This isn't an actual uh, variant, but this is um, representative of what happens. Any question as to what the original actually said? (laughs) This is exactly how variants work. This is exactly how, because we can compare and we can cross-check, this is how we determine what the original actually said with tremendous accuracy which is exactly how it works when the scholars get to those variants. So scholars call those differences variants, and there are about 300,000, which sounds like a lot. But every time any variant happens in any manuscript, whether it's the same variant as another manuscript, it counts as one. So 26,000 of those manuscripts with those variants easily adds up to 300,000 plus. And while there are many, many variants across many thousands of Greek manuscripts, the overwhelming majority are merely Uh, little grammatical differences in in pronunciation or or spelling. Um, The name John, for example, has a few different ways to spell it. Uh, And so different people would spell it differently, thinking the first person got it wrong. So that's what a variant typically is. And so what actually is the case, contrary to popular understanding of how textual criticism works, the more variants we have, the more accurate is our reconstruction of the original text. Makes you wonder if somehow someone knew what someone was doing 
to ensure the reliability of the text. Listen to this. Famous scholars Westcott and Hort, uh, they estimate that only one in 60 variants has any actual significance that the scholars need to figure out. Only one in 60 has any significance whatsoever that the scholars need to think about. Right? So what that means is before the scholars even get to the variants to have to figure them out, it means that we literally have a text that we can take as 98.33% accurate compared to the originals. One famous scholar, his name is Philip Schaff, he said that of the many thousands of variants that he knew of in his day, he was alive um, 150 or so years ago, only 400 of those variants actually changed the meaning of the passage at all. And only 50 of those were of any real significance. And he said this, he claimed not even one variant affected an article of faith or a precept of duty, which is not abundantly sustained by other and undoubted passages or by the whole tenor of Scripture teaching. Friends, no other book is remotely as well uh, authenticated as reliable in terms of the text itself as the Scriptures. And you will find nothing remotely studied so closely. There's a great uh, New Testament scholar, uh, a professor at Princeton, His name was Bruce Metzger. He estimated that after the scholars get to that text to figure out that one percentage uh, point or so of variance, they are on the whole, this is whether uh, you're a conservative scholar or you're a liberal scholar, they are on the whole in agreement that our modern New Testament is 99.5% accurate in terms of what we have today as the copy to the original itself. And bear in mind that not one single doctrine of the Christian faith that we consider important is affected by that 0.5% in question. And this isn't just something that conservative scholars say. Even the popular skeptic and textual critic, his name's Bart Ehrman, he agrees with Metzger, who was uh, his main prof. He agrees that the New Testament documents are textually reliable, and he has admitted as much in print. Uh, Another ancient authority, uh, Frederick Kenyon, he he summed up the status of the New Testament document's authenticity when he said this, It cannot be too strongly asserted that in substance the text of the Bible is certain. (laughs) Especially is this the case with the New Testament. The number of manuscripts of the New Testament, of early translations from it, and of quotations from it in the oldest writers of the church is so large that it is practically certain that the true reading of every doubtful passage is preserved in some one or other of these ancient authorities. This can be said of no other book in the ancient world. No other ancient book in the world. So here's what this means. We can have confidence that we have the same New Testament that was written down nearly 2,000 years ago. And it is not too strong to say that someone who claims that the New Testament is, is fraught with errors truly does not have the slightest clue about how the process actually works. Now, another important question. Do we have an accurate copy of the truth? Or is this an accurate copy of made-up lies? This is an important question. So question two for us today, is the New Testament a reliable source of truth? 
Is the New Testament a reliable source of truth? Now, we are going to absolutely fly through a lot of content here in a way that means we cannot unpack it as we have our first question today. So, that means you'll have to trust that I am a reliable source (laughs) of truth, along with books I've read over many years and books I'm currently reading. So I'll be summarizing a great deal of evidence and argumentation today. So we're going to look at five lines of evidence, five lines of evidence that answer the same questions historians ask when they are determining the truth of all ancient writings. This is a historical test, they call it. There are at least seven, sometimes more questions. Uh, We're putting it down into five. The basic argument goes... Like this, we have eyewitness testimony that is early, it's from multiple independent sources, it's historically accurate, and it is confirmed by external evidence and internal coherence. Lots to cover, little bit of time, mountain to climb, we're about halfway through the hill. Let's roll. First is this, we have eyewitness testimony. We'll get to the eyewitness part soon. But we have eyewitness testimony that is considerably earlier. And the more scholars learn, the earlier this eyewitness testimony comes. This is important because generally the earlier the source, the more accurate the testimony. Here are four quick reasons that we know the New Testament books were early. First is this. All New Testament books were written before A.D. 100 which is about 70 years after the death of Jesus. We know this because in letters from three of the early church fathers from A.D. 95 to 110, 25 of 27 books are quoted in those letters as having been circulated for quite a while before then. And then we also know that the other two books of those 27 uh, were written by then. Second reason we know that they were early is because most and maybe all of the New Testament books were written before A.D. 70. Scholars used to think, "Ah, I'm not sure, maybe they were all written before 100, but more and more they learn uh, it was probably written before A.D. 70, which is about 40 years after the death of Jesus. Long story short, we can reasonably infer this because other than Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple and uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, there is zero mention of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 7 in all of the New Testament. Zero mention of such a significant historical event as the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction destruction of the temple is a big deal. For example, imagine yourself writing a history of the World Trade Center and writing it after 9-11, but ending your history with the tower still standing as if 9-11 didn't happen. You wouldn't do that. Same exact thing here. But the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple were many, many magnitudes greater than what happened in 9-11 in terms of lives lost, property lost, and national scope and importance. But the New Testament books make no mention of it whatsoever, and they speak about the destruction and the fall of the temple in Jerusalem as if it was still intact at the time of their writings, so likely they were written before A.D. 70. Third reason we know they're early, many of the New Testament books were composed before A.D. 62, which is one of Paul's imprisonments. Uh, There is good evidence that 71% of the New Testament was written before A.D. 62, which means, think about this, 71% of the New Testament was probably written 30 or so years within the death of Jesus. 
And then there are some New Testament books that were penned even earlier than that, in the 40s and the 50s, that used sources from the 30s and going all the way back to the resurrection itself. We're getting at the eyewitness testimony thing here. There is good evidence for a very early date in the 40s and the 50s for as much as 13% of the New Testament. So, so more we learn about history and what goes on, uh, in, in ancient history, the more we begin to think uh, those early uh, New Testament books were penned within about 15 to 25 years of Jesus' death. 1 Corinthians uses sources that literally go all the way back to the resurrection itself. You can look this up yourself later. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 is almost all scholars agree liberal conservative. They agree that it's an early Christian creed that goes all the way back to the resurrection itself. So, there are good arguments to be made by which we can say the vast majority of the New Testament documents are quite early and some are from those who were eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, of the resurrection of Jesus, of the events of the early church, and many, many used eyewitness sources. So, second line of evidence for New Testament reliability is that we have eyewitness testimony that is from multiple independent sources. There's a lot we could say here. In short, (laughs) five writers of the New Testament, Peter, Paul, Luke, John, and the writer of Hebrews, those five all claimed either to be eyewitnesses of the events of Jesus' life and resurrection or to be writing because they were informed by and using eyewitness sources, sometimes written, sometimes verbal. Meaning, not only did Peter, Paul, Luke, John, and the writer of Hebrews all claim to be eyewitnesses or to use eyewitness sources to the tune of 519 people, 19 of whom are named in the New Testament, but those five authors by themselves wrote 77% of the New Testament. Third line of evidence for New Testament reliability is the historical accuracy that we find within the New Testament documents. So the question is, were they historically accurate in what they report? Think about it this way. If someone wrote a book describing your hometown as it was when you were a child, uh, because probably since then, for most of us, things have changed. So imagine someone wrote a book about your hometown as it was when you were a child, and they correctly described place names, local laws, the penal codes, industry, weather, geography, all those kinds of things, you'd be inclined to believe they were actually there or they knew a lot from someone who lived there, right? Exactly the same thing in the New Testament. Long story short, there are many, many facts throughout the New Testament that are increasingly confirmed as historians learn more and more about the time of the New Testament and the ancient Near East. In the second half of Acts alone, there are 84 such facts that only an eyewitness of that time who saw those events could accurately recall. We're talking about things like the depth of the water around a ship in multiple places, the correct distances between cities, titles and names of things that only locals would know, the bean barn, God rest her soul, for example... Things like that. The same is true of the Gospels of Luke and John, 
meaning from just three New Testament books of Luke, John, and Acts, there are at least 140 confirmed historical details uh, that show a reliability in terms of what they, what they report. Fourth line of evidence for New Testament reliability. We have eyewitness testimony that is confirmed by external evidence. Numbers four and five here today are gargantuan fields of study um, that we have no time to go through. (laughs) But there is a mountain of external evidence from things like archaeology, witnesses outside of the Bible, enemies of those who were um, the New Testament writers. This is helpful because, for example, if the opponents of the eyewitnesses, if they admit certain facts the eyewitnesses say are true, then those facts are probably true. It's like when your mom says, oh, you're so brave. You may be brave. But if your arch enemy says, you're brave, everybody actually believes it. Same kind of thing here. Enemy attestation is part of what historians use to determine the reliability of an ancient text. In the New Testament, there are at least 30 examples of people mentioned in the New Testament who were confirmed by non-Christian writers and archaeology, many of whom were considered like anti-disciples. People like Caiaphas, um, who sentenced Jesus to death, Pilate, Quirinius, Sergius Paulus, Gallio, Felix, Festus, Caesar, the list goes on and on. That doesn't even include other archaeological and other extra-biblical evidence. Extra-biblical just means outside of the Bible. It doesn't even include a whole bunch of other things like names and local customs. So fifth line of evidence for New Testament reliability is internal coherence meaning inside the text of the New Testament itself, does it make sense? Does it fit? Um, Is it uh, coherent in how it communicates what it says? This is a huge huge field of study by itself, and we only have time to mention um, ten reasons that fall under this. This is ten reasons to trust the New Testament writers, but these are important because they they confirm an internal coherence that historians themselves use as a part of testing of these ancient documents to help build a case for whether those ancient documents are reliable. I told you we're going nerd today, friends. Here we go. Ten reasons we can trust the New Testament writers were telling the truth. Number one, the New Testament writers included embarrassing details about themselves. The, The disciples and the early New Testament writers, they often depict themselves as total morons. Uh, They struggle to understand half of what Jesus is saying. He says the same thing to them time and again. He says, do you not yet get it? They fall asleep on him while he was praying twice after having asked them to stay up. They are cowardly at every turn. They doubted even after seeing him alive. If they're lying, why would they include such embarrassing details about themselves? Number two, the New Testament writers... Including embarrassing, included embarrassing details and difficult sayings of Jesus himself. They're not only honest about themselves, they're honest about Jesus, even placing him in what seemed to be a bad light at times. They depict him as being considered out of his mind. That's what his own family said about him. Uh, they depict him as being perceived as a deceiver, as being called sinister, as someone who was deserted by his own followers. Uh, Some people called him a drunkard, demon-possessed, a madman. Uh, They portray him in what looks like a bad light. In addition to that, embarrassing details 
Um, there are also many very difficult sayings of Jesus that they didn't take out but left in. It's a part of this historical reliability test. He says things like, the Father is greater than I. He seems to incorrectly predict his own return. He's even seen passing a fig tree and cursing it for not bearing figs, even though it wasn't the season for bearing figs. A whole bunch of things like that. question is, if the New Testament writers were lying, why would they include such embarrassing details and difficult sayings about Jesus himself? Third, the New Testament writers are trustworthy because they left in very demanding sayings of Jesus. If the New Testament writers were making up a story, they certainly didn't make up a story that made life easier for them. Jesus had some very demanding things to say of his followers. Lots of things. We're scratching the surface with this. We'll just name three. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Those are just the beginning. If these New Testament writers were lying, why would they include sayings that just made their life much more difficult and demanding? Either they're stupid or it's the truth. Fourth, the New Testament writers carefully distinguished Jesus' words from their own. This is a key part of historians talking about this internal coherence thing. Um, meaning this, the New Testament writers could have easily solved real thorny theological and doctrinal problems and disputes by putting words in Jesus' mouth that he didn't say, but they don't do that. Instead, they deal with a whole host of early church frustrations around a whole bunch of issues that arose. Things like circumcision, the law of Moses, speaking in tongues, the role of women, things like, is the gospel for the Jews or also for the Gentiles? Huge, huge issues like that that Jesus didn't speak a lot about. If they were lying, why wouldn't they just put words in Jesus' mouth? But they don't. Number five, the New Testament writers are trustworthy because they include events related to the resurrection that they would not have invented. We're just going to cover these in, in basic terms here. Uh, the burial of Jesus in the tomb of a Jewish official, for example. Like, why don't Jesus' own friends take care of the body? Right? But a Jewish official does, and so they tell it like it is. Women, as the first witnesses of the resurrection, their testimony wasn't even included in, in being okay in the court of law at the time. Why would they include that? The conversion of priests, the Jewish explanation of Jesus' body being stolen. If the New Testament writers were lying, why would they include details that call into question their own explanation that Jesus rose from the grave? Sixth reason you can trust them, they include more than 30 historically confirmed people in their writings. And this is more important than it may seem in the face of it, meaning this. The New Testament writers would have blown their own credibility with their contemporary audiences outside of their circles if they had implicated those real people into a fictional story. Let me say it again. It's kind of complicated. The New Testament writers would have blown their credibility. They would have been showing themselves to be unreliable 
with their contemporary audiences outside of their circle, if they had implicated real and also very powerful people in a fictional story, especially people with great notoriety and power, every single one of whom could have emphatically denied the whole thing. If they were lying, why would they include enemies, some of whom could easily expose them and expose credibility if they had falsely implicated them? Seventh reason you can trust the New Testament writers is because they include divergent details. These are seemingly contradictory things in the text itself. Long story short, we can harmonize and explain well what critics are quick to call contradictory accounts. Uh, Let's just take the Gospels, for example. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is very different than the first three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels, meaning they see optic together, sin, S-Y-N, optic. They see together the story. And so they tell the same stories that happen in Jesus' life, but with different viewpoints and from different angles, like an eyewitness would. And often those come across as seemingly contradictory So when we can harmonize and explain what looks contradictory, it does nothing but strengthen the case that they were eyewitness accounts. If the New Testament writers were lying, why would they include divergent details? Eighth reason, the New Testament writers challenged their own readers to go ahead and check out the verifiable facts even about miracles. There are numerous places where the New Testament itself says, go ahead, check it out, see for yourself. Number nine, the New Testament writers describe miracles just like other historical events with very simple and unembellished accounts. This is part of that historical test thing we're talking about earlier. When historians are studying ancient texts, they consider very embellished and extravagant details as as signs that a historical account has legendary or mythic elements that are probably not considered historical. But... The New Testament writers, in contrast to most other ancient documentation like this, they explain miracles in a strangely matter-of-fact, kind of boring, and a rather unembellished way that is quite different than how ancient mythical and legendary texts usually describe them. It will just say something like, lightning happened and there I was. (laughs) Oh, lightning, okay. If they were lying, why would they have made miracles seem like normal? Lastly, you can trust the New Testament writers because, and this is significant if you think about it, they abandoned long-held sacred beliefs and practices and adopted new ones, and they did not deny their testimony about Jesus under persecution or threat of death. The New Testament writers, they don't just say that Jesus performed miracles and rose from the dead. They actually back it up with their own lives, meaning that virtually overnight, they abandoned 1,500-year-old sacred practices and beliefs and, and turned to new ones. Here's just a few examples of pre-resurrection, post-resurrection. Uh, what was an animal sacrifice instantly for them became unnecessary because of Christ's sacrifice. The binding law of Moses, they considered non-binding because it was fulfilled by Christ's life. There was a strict monotheism with Judaism that became Trinity, three people 
in one essence, three persons in one divine essence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Sabbath was quickly replaced by Sunday worship and gathering. A conquering Messiah was quickly replaced by something nobody could have conceived of, which was a sacrificial Messiah who conquers when he returns later. Things like circumcision were replaced by uh, baptism and communion. Not only did they abandon long-held sacred practices, institutions, and adopt new ones, but they suffered persecution and death when they could have saved their skin by merely recanting. They could have simply said, okay, I'm lying. Listen to what Judge Antonin Scalia says when he comments about the historicity of the New Testament. He said this, While many people will die for a lie that they think is the truth, No sane person will die for what they know is a lie. The New Testament writers and the other apostles, they knew for sure that Jesus had resurrected and they demonstrated that knowledge with their own blood. What more could an eyewitness do to prove that they are telling the truth? Friends, either the claims of the New Testament documents that Jesus raised from the dead are the most incredible, unbelievable, and well-coordinated hoax in all of history, or it's true. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory. For you have done what no one could have planned to do, which is to keep reliable through the history of fallen people your written word so that we could hold to its promises and be confident that your son Jesus was raised from the dead as a sacrifice for our sin that we could never have paid for ourselves. Father, it's an amazing truth that we want to confidently live out of and to be people whose lives give testimony like those who came before, that your claims are true and we can trust in them. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.